0: All right, well, we, as Pastor Brandon mentioned, we started a brand new series last week, a journey through the book of 1 Peter that we are calling Living Hope. And as he mentioned earlier, uh, this is the Apostle Peter uh, writing to a group of Christians uh, scattered throughout modern-day Turkey about 30 years after Jesus resurrected, ascended into heaven. And he's writing to Christians who are facing the the daily pressures and challenges of, of being different of being viewed as different from a a, a negative light. And because of these differences, they are paying a cost. Uh, They are being shunned and rejected, ostracized, ridiculed, and persecuted in, in many ways. And thus Peter is writing this letter to not only encourage them, but to inspire them and to help strengthen their resolve, to continue doing what they're doing by primarily reminding them of, of the hope uh, they have in Jesus, this new birth into a living hope that they've been given. You know, when I used to uh, coach my uh, daughter's basketball teams when they were younger, rec ball, and uh, we would call a timeout or a timeout would be called, a lot of times there's one or two kinds of messages that you're, in essence, delivering to your team, right? On a lot of occasions, basically the message is there's something not working and you need to fix it, right? You're not rebounding, you're not playing defense, better shots, you need to do better. Right? On the rare occasion, sometimes the message is simply like, you're actually doing pretty good. Like, just keep doing what you're doing, just do more of it, right? do, do it harder. And I bring this up because as we read this section of the letter, to, to, to be aware that as Peter is writing this, he's not scolding these Christians. He's not lecturing them, because we're going to read through some, some difficult things, some, some challenges that he sets for the church, but he is affirming them. Right? What we'll see is he, he's telling them that you're doing good. Right? He's writing to believers who are willingly facing persecution because of their faith, because of their beliefs, and he's saying, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Persevere, stay the course. So picking up in chapter 1, verse 13, Peter writes, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. He says, with minds that are alert. Another translation is uh, being prepared for action. The picture here is somebody rolling up their sleeves, about to get ready to do something challenging, something difficult. It carries the meaning of being Focused and ready and prepared. He says, be fully sober. Or In other words, do not be distracted. Do not be under the influence of anything that can cloudy your vision in terms of what matters, what is important. So with this sense of readiness, which carries the meaning of something that requires effort, something that requires diligence, intentionality, he says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Set your sight, set your focus on when Christ returns and the grace that you will be given, all that you will receive, all that you will inherit inherit in light of all that God has done. And live accordingly. Make choices, make decisions, sacrifice based on, on that hope. Now for most of us, this logic, makes sense, right? We, we do it all the time, right? We have certain hopes, we have certain dreams, certain goals, a vision of the future that we desire, and we live our life accordingly. We make certain choices, we make certain decisions, we make certain sacrifices, we put in a level of effort, intentionality, in order to help us achieve those goals, to attain that future, right? Maybe for some of us it's, it's professional goals, it's a, it's a desire to, to be somewhere professionally, financially, to experience a certain level of comfort, a certain level of of joy, pleasure, satisfaction. Maybe we think to ourselves, if if I can just get to to that level, if I can have this kind of life, if I can have those things, then, then I'll be good. And we live our life accordingly. We make plans, we make choices, decisions that help us to attain that goal. Right? We, have, we have kids, and we have goals for our kids. We want them to have a certain level of happiness, maybe get into a certain kind of school, get a certain kind of job, live a certain kind of life. And we make choices, decisions, sacrifices, put in a level of effort, intentionality, to help them achieve those goals, to reach that destination, to give them the best chance possible. And Peter is saying, you know, just, just do the same thing, but set your goal, the ultimate goal, on that which is eternal on which that which which really truly matters in this lifetime and in the next on when Christ returns and make choices decisions sacrifices in order to attain that goal which is guaranteed and then continuing on verse 14 to 16 it says as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Right here he says, as obedient children. Right? He's not being sarcastic. He's not being passive aggressive. He's not like, as obedient children. Right? Right? He is affirming them, that they are trying. They have committed themselves to obedience. He says, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Right? He's reminding them, do not conform to your, the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. Right? He's saying, before you knew Jesus, or before you placed your faith in him, before you made him the king and lord of your life, prior to that, you, you lived according to your own fleshly sinful desires. Those desires are what led you. It's what guided you, right? And in their context, in their society, in their culture, that's how everybody else lived their life. That way of living is, was what was accepted. It was admired. It was applauded. It, it's what was perceived as the, the ultimate way to attain and achieve happiness, fulfillment. Peter says don't, don't, don't live that way anymore, right? Do not give into those desires. Rather, be holy in all you do holy in all you do Now the word holy carries the meaning of just being set apart right of being completely different distinct unique Now we know that God is holy on you know so many different levels Right? On so many different levels in light of his various attributes he is distinct and unique from everyone and, and anyone else So when Peter says to be holy like God is holy he's not expecting us to be holy like God in every single way like we'll never be sovereign, we'll never be all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing. But he says where we as the church are called to to be holy, called to be distinct, called to be unique, is in God's character. Right? In the way that God is, is good. In the way that he is loving, specifically in the way that God is without sin. Now, Peter is simply building on this idea that we have been given a new birth, that we are a new creation. We've been given a new identity, a new heart, new desires. And with that newness comes new values, a new way of thinking, a new way of living. And the challenge for them, the challenge for us, is to discern... The old self from the, the new self. Right? We live in a culture, a world today similar to then, where there was a high value in there is a high value in being you. Right? Be true to yourself. You do you, be who God created you to be. Right? Live out of how you who you are and, and how you're designed. And technically that's not wrong. We see that theme in scripture. But what the Scripture tells us is that as believers, be the, the new you. Right? Don't be the old you, be the new you. But the challenge for us is to discern what is, who is the, the old me and who is the, the new me. Now this may be oversimplifying a bit, and Peter will go into more details, but basically what he says here is your sinful desires, anything that is fleshly, that's the old you. Anything that reflects God's character, anything that demonstrates his heart, that's the new you. So so be you. Be who God created you to be. Continuing on, verse 17 to 21. "Since, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Right now, there's a lot to unpack here. he says, in light of the fact that God is righteous and just, that he's impartial, unbiased, fair, in light of the fact that he's present, that he is not only aware, but he's deeply interested in all of our thoughts, in everything we say, our words, our speech, in everything that we do, in light of that reality, and in light of all that he has done to give us this gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness and reconciliation and adoption, the indwelling of the Spirit, this inheritance that we will one day receive. In light of all those things, he's, Peter's saying live out each moment of every day in reverent fear of who God is and all that he's done. Now this notion of fear... We see in other parts of Scripture, it's not a fear of punishment or judgment as a believer. It's not a fear of wrath or condemnation. All those things that have been dealt with and paid for once and for all. Jesus' life, death, resurrection. It's not the kind of fear that he's talking about. Right? We see passages like Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So it's not the kind of fear that Peter's talking about. But what we also see in Scripture, what Peter's talking about here is a healthy kind of fear, a reverent fear, a sense of deep awe and respect and humility in light of who God is and in light of who we are. Uh, Last summer, when I had the chance to go to Iraq for missions, um, on one of the days, we had to go to another town about three hours away. So we boarded this kind of large van altogether, and and we were told that as we were headed to this town, we would have to stop at a couple military checkpoints that was held by the Kurdish military. And we were told that we had nothing to worry about. It would be seamless. and, And it was that we would just have to show our passports and The Kurdish military, they worked together with the US military, they held off ISIS in 2014, we're American citizens, we had American passports, we'll be fine, and we had nothing to worry about. So we weren't worried. But when we rolled up to these military checkpoints, surrounded by by men in machine guns, when they boarded our bus and asked to see our passports, there is something in you that just kind of perks up, right? It's like, (laughs) right, I mean, we weren't afraid that something bad was going to happen, right? But in that moment, you're just aware that I'm not in control, <laughs> right? Like, I don't have the authority here, and I'm kind of at the mercy of this, this soldier, this individual, right? And, and we can feel that way when it comes to people in authority, people who are extremely gifted, talented, successful. And Peter's just saying, how much more than when it comes to God? Just being aware of this great disparity between how great he is and how not great we are. And that he is present with us every moment of every day. He says, conduct yourselves, live out your life with this kind of reverent fear. And perhaps Peter, as he's writing this, as he's thinking about this, he's thinking about his own encounter with Jesus early on, or at least recorded in Scripture Right early on, Luke chapter 5, we're told Peter has spent the whole night fishing. Catches nothing. It's the morning. He's washing up his nets. He's folding things up. He's ready to call it a day. Go home, eat some breakfast, maybe take a nap. Jesus gets into his boat. He tells him to to row out a bit so he could preach from the shore. After he finishes preaching, Jesus is like, "Let's, let's go deeper and let's drop the nets. The nets that you just washed and you just put away. And Peter kind of, you know, politely says, I've, I've, you know, in essence, I'm a professional fisherman. I've been fishing all night. I didn't catch anything. This is probably the worst time to catch fish, but since you say so, I'll do it. Right? Peter drops the nets, and long story short, right, he catches so much fish that it not only begins to sink his boat, but he calls his buddy James and John's over. it sinks, begins to sink their boat. Right? What's Peter's reaction when he sees this glimpse of Jesus' power and authority? says so he falls to his knees. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Right, it's this picture of reverent fear. This recognition of who Jesus is, of who God is, and the disparity between his greatness and our brokenness and our fallenness. Right? And scripture tells us that this kind of fear, this kind of awe and reverence is the foundation of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10. Continuing on in verses 22 to 25. It says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Right? says, so now that you're, you're doing well, you're growing, you're already growing to love each other. He says, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. He right? says, so you're already growing to love one another, but love one another deeply from the heart. Now this word deeply carries the meaning of doing something with great faith Furvency, persistence, diligence, discipline, right? It carries the meaning of doing something with a lot of effort. Like try it really, really hard. Give it all you have. Put all of your focus, all of your energy, all of your intentionality in what? Loving one another from the heart. What Peter implies here is that love is hard. It does not come easy, it does not come natural, it's not automatic. But the reason we can grow in love, the reason why we can love is because the, the word of God, the living, enduring word of God, are the same power that spoke creation into existence, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, the same power that led us to salvation, made us a new creation, is that work in us, helping us to, to love In this way and then in chapter 2 verse 1 Peter gets very specific of how this works what this looks like how do we love each other deeply how do we pour our energy into loving verse 1 he says therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit hypocrisy envy and slander of every kind like how do we love each other deeply by being diligent, by being ruthless, by focusing our energy and our efforts into removing whatever gets in the way of loving one another, of loving others. He says, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander, basically anything that is not loving, anything that is inherently selfish, Rightful, sinful, anything that attempts to benefit ourselves at the expense of others, he says, get rid of those. Rid yourselves of those things. You know, over the past few months, because of all the rain, and I'll blame the rain and perhaps a little bit of my laziness, you know, I began to notice there's just a lot of weeds that began to, to sprout out in, in, in my yard front and back, you know, on the grass, along the bushes, in the planters, cracks of the driveway, along the garage, on the sidewalk. And, you know, I remember seeing them early on, like, okay, at some point I'm going to have to address it. But, you know, it's been raining a lot. It's understandable. I'd drive through, you know, our neighborhood and I'd see everybody else's yards and they'd have weeds too. And, you know, it's understandable, right? No one's going to complain, it's, we had a lot of rain. You know, there's, there's one house on our street. He's out there every day, and his yard is immaculate. And then there's another neighbor who, it's pretty rough, his yard, you know. In fact, it's kind of like Amber's like telling our kids, don't go near that house. <laughs> and, you know, I've always just kind of felt like as long as our house is like somewhere in the middle, right, like we don't got to be this guy, but as long as we're not too far over here, like we're okay. So it didn't bother me, and weeks went by until about a couple weeks ago. I was driving home, and I saw something that kind of scared me, shook me. I saw gardeners working in my neighbor's yards. Three, four houses, they had gardeners going, you know, working, cutting their grass, pulling the weeds, and I began to panic, like, oh no, like, I gotta get to work. So I took a couple days, and, you know, I just started pulling weeds and just kicking myself. I'm like, oh, I should have done this earlier. But I'll be honest, right, I didn't get all the weeds, I just got the weeds you can see. Did the front yard first, driveway, and planters, and haven't even touched the backyard yet, because no one can see it. And I think sometimes we can have the same attitude when it comes to sin. You know, when it comes to certain kinds of thoughts, or maybe our words or speech, certain things we do, certain things we don't do, you know, we are diligent. You know, I mean, we're here, right? And we are intentional in, in addressing those sins, but sometimes the sins we focus on are the ones that you can see, the ones that are visible, the, the ones that are obvious, and sometimes we just kind of are okay with the ones that aren't so visible. And we don't condone it, but maybe there's this, this attitude of like, well, it's, it's, it's understandable. We, we all have weeds. But you see, what what Peter is saying here is that in light of the hope that we have, in light of what God has done for us, in light of the the power that is within us, in light of who God is, be holy, live out your life in reverent fear, love deeply. How? By ridding yourselves of all those things that get in the way of loving others you see what Peter is communicating, what he's he's highlighting, what he's reminding the church, what Jesus taught himself, is that what will ultimately set us apart, what will make the church distinct from anyone else, and especially this church who's going through persecution, who's rejected, shunned, ostracized, ridiculed, mocked, taunted. You see, what's going to set them apart from everybody else is, is not their worldly success. It's not going to be their talents and their abilities. Society's not going to look at these Christians and be like, wow, your life is so good, it's so comfortable, it looks so fun. But he says what's going to set them apart, what's going to ultimately set us apart is in how we love. How we love one another and how we love others, even those who may dislike us, ridicule us, mock us. And the way we love each other deeply is by being intentional, being focused and diligent in addressing the sins within us. Right, John 13, 34, 35. Jesus says, A new command I give you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I think, you know, a lot of times, and, Maybe not all of us, but, you know, there are times where I think we just kind of think about the church in general, maybe not just CBC, but Christians in general, and, you know, we can identify ways that the church falls short, the the way Christians fall short of God's standards, of where the church struggles, where the church has dropped the ball, maybe we see certain leaders, pastors, maybe we know certain people where we just kind of look and just think, like, that's not what Jesus had in mind. Maybe there's ways we can all kind of just think about ways that the church could be better, the church could be more loving, that the church could do a better job at reflecting God's character and reflecting into the heart of Jesus. And you wouldn't be wrong if you thought those things. There are a lot of ways that that we and the church in general, we, we fall short. But you see, what what Peter is saying here is that while it is important to identify the the ways the church may fall short, while it's important to say, yeah, we we need to love more, we need to have the heart of Jesus, what he's also saying is that we need to be diligent ourselves in rooting out the the sins and the struggles that that get in the way. That we have to be willing to, to have the hard conversations to ask ourselves the questions like how how do we as a whole, how do we as a church, how do we fall short? Can we identify things like malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander? Are there ways that we're selfish? Are there ways that we're materialistic? Are there ways that that we are greedy? Are there ways that we seek to, to benefit ourselves at the expense of others? Right, and that's gonna require a lot of prayer, a lot of discernment, a lot of hard, honest conversations. But that this is the response that Peter is hoping for from the church. That as they're hearing this letter being out loud, they're asking themselves the question: is this in us? Is this here amongst us? Are there certain thoughts, certain attitudes, behaviors that exhibit these kinds of attitudes? And to to be diligent in removing those things, addressing those things. And while it's important that we ask those questions in terms of us as a group, what Peter's also saying is that each individual, right, each disciple, each child of God, each son and daughter, each person who has been given this new birth needs to look within themselves. And to ask, are these attitudes, these behaviors in us? And to be diligent in addressing those things. Removing those things. Continuing on and wrapping up our section. Chapter 2, verses 2 to 3 says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He right? says, so you've already tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, you are growing in this. You are doing well. You are striving for holiness and pursuing obedience and working on loving deeply. See, do it more. Even Be more persistent. Persevere. Stay the course. And in light of these failures, in light of these shortcomings, when we identify sins in us, Turn to the Lord. Seek Him. Seek His presence. Seek His power. Seek His strength. Seek more of the Spirit. Or In the same way that an infant needs milk to to grow, to thrive, for sustenance and nutrients, he said, we need the Lord. We need His presence. We need His power in order to help us be holy. In order to help us love deeply. Anything everything that helps us to grow, that continues the work of sanctification. He says, seek those things. Pursue those things. You know, a few years ago, when I was uh, still playing basketball, or my version of basketball, um, you know, I grew up playing basketball, enjoyed playing basketball, loved playing basketball, and, you know, towards the, the, the tail end of it, I remember coming to this realization one day that, you know, no matter... How much I play, no matter how much I practice and work on my game, uh, I'm not going to lie. I used to dribble around in here, you know, during the week and practice my shot, trying to hit that ledge right there. You yeah, know, but I just thought, like, no matter how much I practice, no matter how much I play, like over time, eventually, inevitably, I'm only going to get worse, right? As they say in sports, like Father Time always wins, right? Now I'm. I was already getting worse, I saw it, I didn't need to come to that realization, but you know, just kind of this acceptance, this reality of like, yeah, I'm only gonna get worse, and it's, you know, it's a little bit discouraging, and I was just kind of like, what's the point of playing that? You know, there are times in life now as I get older, and I'm not having a pity party here, okay? But there are times where I'll just kind of think to myself, like, probability-wise, statistically speaking, like, from a worldly perspective, Like, maybe this is as good as my life is going to get. You know, from a worldly perspective. Now, this is first world problems here. My life is great. I have so much. I have so much to be grateful for and thankful for. But sometimes I just kind of, you know, drive around, think to myself, like, maybe this is as good as it's going to get, though. Like, maybe, probably, like, I'll probably never get that kind of house. I'll probably never drive those kinds of cars. I'll probably never get to experience those kinds of adventures. And, and that's okay, right? Like, like I said, it's not a pity party. But it's just this realization, these expectations, and just a reminder to just embrace, right, what, what I've been given, to enjoy, to give thanks and praise and worship, to, to just be a steward of all that. But just this acceptance of I think this might be as good as it's going to get, and that's that's totally okay from a worldly perspective. I think sometimes it's easy for us, maybe subconsciously, to have the same thoughts when it comes to our spiritual growth and our spiritual maturity. You may be the subconscious thought of like, you know, this might be as good as it's going to get like I don't know if I'll ever be able to overcome those struggles. I don't know if I'll ever be able to to be that kind of person. I don't know if I'll ever be able to have that kind of faith, that kind of humility, that kind of courage. I don't know if I'll ever be that compassionate. I don't know if I'll ever be able to be that forgiving, that gracious, that generous. I don't know if I'll ever be able to have that kind of, of faith. Perhaps this is as good as it's going to get. It's just who I I am. You see, what Peter is saying is, no, that's that's not as good as it's going to get. That isn't who you are. Because you have been given a new birth into a, a living hope. Right, and one day, the hope that we have is one day we will be perfect and sinless. Right, one day we're going to love perfectly. One day there will be no selfishness. There will be no pride. There will be no sin. Right, one day we will fully reflect and demonstrate the character of God. And we believe that on that day... Our lives are going to be infinitely and exponentially better than anything we could ever imagine. So Peter says, pursue it now. Begin that journey now. It's not going to be be easy. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard. We won't perfect it in this lifetime, but we can begin to experience those blessings and those joys in this lifetime. And we can live this life, not out of obligation, not out of fear of punishment or wrath, but because of the hope that we have in Christ in light of what God has done for us. So set our hope on the grace that we will receive when Jesus returns. Pursue holiness. To be holy in the way that God is holy. Love deeply. Love fervently, diligently, passionately, persistently. Rid ourselves of whatever attitudes, whatever behaviors, whatever sins get in the way. And let us continue to, to taste that the Lord is good. Will you pray with me?